This morning, Pastor Jones has given me the privilege of preaching in his Proverbs series. And so we are in Proverbs chapter 10, if you would turn there. And as we're turning there, um, little theologians, if your parents permit you to draw something, or if you just want to have this image in your mind, if you would look up here, imagine I have two balloons in my hands. Uh, one, both are filled with helium, both uh, are about the same size, but one is tied and has a beautiful string, and one is untied. Now, if I were to let go of this, this one balloon, where would it go, little theologians? It would go straight up, right? Well, at least the engineers might comment that the air conditioning might pull it not quite straight, but it'd go pretty much straight up, pretty high up there. But if I were to release this other balloon, where would it go? We'd have no idea, would we? We'd zig and zag and it'd go all over the place and it would end as a deflated balloon. And we're going to look at a passage in Proverbs chapter 10, which has a lot of little proverbs that we're going to knit together in a sense. And all of them point to two different kinds of lives, a life that is Full because of the steadfast love of the Lord, and one that is seeking to be full from their own lives. One goes straight, the other ends deflated. So please turn and, and look with me in Proverbs chapter 10, and if you're a, an adult, and if you are like me, you probably have a lot of thoughts on your mind this morning, a lot of things that can pull your attention away. But let's quiet our hearts Let's listen to God's word, what he has to say to us in Proverbs chapter 10, the first 16 verses. Let's listen. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, the poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before your word this morning. We come hopeful knowing that your word, it shapes our lives. We ask that you'd help us to know you more. And in light of who you are, to know ourselves more. So would you help us as we consider how we might appropriate this wisdom to live faithfully as we rest our hearts in you. Lead us during this time, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, imagine a scenario in which a 20 to 25-year-old young person inherits a multi-billion dollar company from his father. A family-owned company in which this 20 to 25-year-old young man or woman, they receive this company uh, not being the most knowledgeable of business, not even being the child that was prepared to take on the company, perhaps not very charismatic, perhaps struggling maybe to know signs of leadership, and being handed a massive company that was multi-billion billion dollar part of an industry that went around the world. Can you imagine what it would be like to start out in that? Some of you might be saying, well, I might know how to do some of that. But put, your place, put yourself in a place where you might not. And think about what it would be like to carry the pressures of thousands and thousands of jobs that might work for you, or a family name uh, that might be well-known and loved if you say and do the right thing, and, or the way that the market for this industry might be affected around the world. Imagine what that kind of pressure might feel like for a moment. How do you decide what is right and what is wrong? Well, this morning, as we look at God's Word, we're invited to consider a story similar to that that took place in ancient Israel. Because our passage begins with a small little preface, a preface that stands out in a larger series in which we already know Solomon writes this book, much of the wisdom of this book. But it's highlighted for us here at the very beginning of this section in Proverbs chapter 10. We're told this, these are Proverbs of Solomon. And, and the, the, the preface makes us think, or it should make us think, of Solomon's life. We should be prepared to understand who Solomon was before we look at this wisdom. And who was Solomon? Well, Solomon was the son of David, but not just David, but Bathsheba. And we're told specifically in 2 Samuel 12, verse 24, we're told that he was born because they were grieving the loss of Bathsheba's first son. But Solomon wasn't the firstborn of David's sons. He didn't seem like he probably was the most charismatic, maybe the strongest, the most likely heir to David's throne. But when he's born, there's one little phrase that's used about Solomon that's not used in any of other David's sons. That phrase is that the Lord loved him. Solomon was defined in his birth by the Lord's love. And that was shown to him, not just in receiving the throne from David, but if you remember in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon, when he comes to power, when he comes to the, the reign of his father's throne, he doesn't know what to do. 
The ancient uh, nation of Israel was to be a light for all nations. He was living in light of his father's legacy. He wasn't the strongest or the most charismatic. He had millions dependent upon him. And as he reflected on his great need, the Lord met him. He met him in a dream. And he invited Solomon in the most amazing way to share his heart with the Lord. The Lord gave him one promise. What should I give you? And Solomon describes himself before he asks for what he knows he needs. He describes himself as a young child. Now, scholars have looked. He was probably about 20 to 25 years old at this point. He wasn't a little child, but he saw himself as a little child. And he saw himself as someone who couldn't figure out for himself which way to go, how to come in, let alone lead a nation that was to be a light to the Gentiles. And so what did Solomon do? He asked for wisdom to lead God's people. He understood his need and he understood the steadfast, unfailing love of his God who was with him from the time he was born until now. That God was going to ensure the success of his nation, not his abilities, not his skills, not his gifting. You see, as we start to look at this Proverbs and we consider ourselves, we see uh, different pictures of what life looks like, a life that leads to life and a life that leads to death. We have to understand that the beginning place of wisdom that Solomon saw was his need for the Lord. And we see that need, that same need in our lives. But we have a, a bigger picture of seeing God's faithfulness because beyond the King Solomon, we see the coming of another king who would come, who by his steadfast love, he would endure the sins and the death that we deserve, that we committed. In light of who Jesus is and his obedient life and his atoning death and his resurrection, we have been brought into a place where we might be called righteous before God. We might stand righteous before God. And now we look at this wisdom through the lens of someone who knows they need a Savior. That righteousness comes from God. Despite what we see in our own hearts or what we experience in the daily interactions of our lives, despite all of the struggles and sorrows we endure, we hope and we trust in God's unfailing love for us. And that's what enables us to understand what real righteous living looks like. That's what enables us to obey and to look at this psalm or this set of Proverbs differently. Let's take a look beyond the preface. That was just the opening for Solomon. And so we see at the very beginning three areas I hope we look at. There's likely more, but three I want us to focus on this morning. Ways that lead to life because of the unfailing love of our Savior. The first one is that he desires for us to live in relationship. And the second is that he desires that we live with integrity. And then the third, he desires us to live in his faithful provision. Let's break these down from the text. That's first one. He desires that we would live in light of life in relationship. 
In verse 1, we see it here after that preface. It says, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. These section between 1 and 5, we see, a, I think, a, a, an emphasis more on relationships. Because in verse 5, we see that same particular kind of relationship described in verse 1, a parent, repeated in verse 5. Look there, please. It says, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Many of us know the experience of being a parent. Some of you recently dropped kids off for college in the last few weeks. And whether it's watching them take keys and drive off for the first time or watching their first steps, there is no neutral place of emotion for a parent. The relationship is valuable. It's important. It defines us as parents. And conversely, as children, if you've never been a parent, we all know what it's like to be a child and how that relationship also defines us for much of our lives. Some of us had wonderful, godly examples of parents, but some of us had very hard and painful relationships with our parents. And we know what it's like to be in that kind of relationship. But in the context of Proverbs, what Solomon's talking about, he's talking and writing wisdom with reflection to the aspect of being a part of God's covenantal people. Part of what it means to be in covenant with one another is being beyond just that parental relationship because we become in Christ, we're engrafted into that covenant family. So we belong to one another if we are in Christ. And so perhaps this, this section makes us think less about our parents biologically and more about the family of God that he's knit us together in. Consider for a moment what we just did a few moments ago, what Pastor Young led us in. We baptized two children, Josiah, David, they were baptized this morning, and we took a vow that Pastor Dan Steer led us in because their lives matter to our lives. We were made for relationship as a community. Because of what Christ has done, he's brought us together to be a family, and we're to live differently because we're part of that family. How we live and impacts others within this family. And I think this is most clearly seen in verse 5. The scripture speaks of a son who brings shame. And what we tend to go to in our, in our minds in modern day society is that that shame is almost like a parental head wagging, a finger pointing. But that shame, the word actually refers to the implications in an agricultural context in which a fatherly's responsibility to raise up food, not just for himself, but for a community, is unable to be met. The father's not able to provide because the son has brought a shame in his unwillingness to participate in the needs of ultimately the community. You see, in Christ, as we've been brought into a family, we think of not just ourselves, but how our actions or inaction affects 
the life of those in Christ together. We have to consider the needs of others. And this is, I think, seen more and more throughout these first five verses, because in verse 2, we read that treasures gained by wickedness profit nothing. Well, how does it profit nothing? He's gained a lot of wealth, it sounds like. But I think Solomon's drawing us to the idea that these treasures profit nothing because they're to their own end. They're not treasures that are like those of the righteous which deliver from death. How does the treasures of the righteous deliver from death? Well, they're concerned about the the needs of others, the potential poverty of others. You see, when our end goal is ourselves, it ultimately leads us and others to death, isolated and alone, broken and fractured. It's why in verse 3, we're told that the cravings of the wicked are never going to satisfy. They get thwarted. They get thwarted because their end goal is themselves. I think one of the challenges we've all had since COVID, since this time of quarantine, is that we're still really recovering from it. I've heard some researchers talk about how we haven't still felt the effects of loneliness in our society yet, what it's like to spend a year apart from people. Some of us are still unsure how to rejoin our covenant family together. Sometimes, even in my own heart, it's much, much easier to be safe and alone than to participate in the covenant life together. But friends, you should know you are not only wanted in covenant community, you are needed in the covenant body. Your life is to spill out into covenant family together. And if you're struggling with whether or not you should participate, please come. Come tonight. Stay for fellowship. Involve yourself because we need one another. We need to rely on one another. And I think much of what Proverbs 1 through 5 of this chapter is getting at is our need to be intertwined together in our lives. A balloon that goes straight, a life that goes straight, is a life that considers the needs of others in relationship and seeks to build those relationships up in Christ. And that leads us to the second point that I think is this much larger section, 6 through 14. That not only are we made to build our lives up, that the righteous consider the needs of others, they consider the relationships of others, that they're not their own end, but they consider the way of integrity we think of this larger section, we continue to see this polarization of two different lives, the righteous and the wicked, how they believe, how they act. See, because of the work of Christ, because we've been united to him, because of his love, our lives are different. We live, we seek to live with an integrity, a righteous integrity that's an honest openness That our lives do not belong to ourselves, but they belong to the Lord. Look at these pictures, 6 through 9, really 11, of, of all these different ways in which these two lives interact. In verse 6, the description of integrity comes that they come with the blessings, ultimately, of the Lord. 
Verse 7, their memory is a blessing. Why? Because they use their memory to build up. They recall and refresh others in what they know about those others that are in their lives. This is also seen in verse 11. The, the, the righteous are like a fountain of life. They refresh. They refresh others in times of weariness. Verse 8. They are ones who receive commandments. Not only do they listen, but they change their will. They conform their will to God's law. They take direction, correction, guidance. Verse 9, they're secure in their integrity because there's no fear of being caught in deception. Solomon puts this in contrast to the lives of the wicked, the lives of those who will ultimately end up deflated and in ruin. We see that the mouth of the wicked leads to ruin and to rot and to death. Why? Well, part of the ways we see in 8 and 10 and 14 that the wicked are, are described as foolish. And that foolishness isn't a stupidity in a sense, even though it is fairly stupid to live in this way, but it's a foolishness that's related to their mouths, how they speak. They babble. They speak meaninglessness because they're unwilling to listen. They're unwilling to receive feedback. They're unwilling to, to ultimately to grumble. I have to think how hard it is sometimes in my own life to not want to speak so quickly rather than to hear first, to be patient. And the only thing that drives me to allow myself to slow down and to listen to others is to realize that I don't have all the, the fountain of wisdom in myself. I have to slow down, be mindful of how God might use others in my midst and seek to be a blessing with my words. All of this culminates in verse 12. If you look at me, look with me in this verse. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. You see, the defining characteristic of these two lives, a, a life, a balloon that goes straight and a, a, a balloon that's deflated, the defining characteristic is not our wealth, it's not our power, it's not even our individual morality or piety. The defining distinction of a righteous life is that it's lived with the integrity of love. A life that's filled is one that's defined not by hatred, not by, but, but ultimately by love. And because the world struggles to understand and define these two words, love and hatred, Solomon describes them for us. Hatred. Hatred is seen as the active attempt to cause strife, quarrel, that which separates. This isn't the same as conflict. It's not the, the same as disagreement. We can disagree and not cause strife, but the kind of hatred that Solomon is describing is the kind of hatred that seeks to destroy it searches out for insults to be insulted by so that they can dwell on ways to tear others down. Conversely, love covers all offenses. To cover is the opposite of exposure. 
It doesn't flaunt hurt. To cover is to bear the weight of the cost or the pain of what's been done to us. Love is never fair. It's always costly. It bears injury for the sake of the offender. It heals rather than benefits. It risks further harm. It bears all things. It endures all things. As Christians, the only way I have found to be able to live in this kind of righteous integrity is to continually dwell on the love that has been shown to me in Christ Jesus. The more I dwell on his love, the more I see how much I have been covered from the deepest, most poor sins of my heart, the more I know the kind of love that not only penetrates my heart, but changes the world by the way we seek to cover one another. Honest integrity seeks to forgive others. It's hard to forgive. If you're struggling to forgive this morning, if you're struggling to cover someone else's sins for things that they've done in your life, this is an opportunity to dwell on how Christ has covered you fully and unashamedly. Because he loves you. See, that integrity leads us to this third point. It leads us to this third way we seek life, and that's ultimately in God's provision. Look with me in verse 15. These last two verses ultimately, I think, come together, but let's read them separately. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Now this proverb may sound strange to us, but notice that Solomon doesn't assign the righteous to the rich here. He just makes an observation about wealth and poverty. It's one in which we would agree with that the rich, especially provisionally in this temporal time, in this season, is like a strong city to protect him. The poor and poverty of the poor will lead to ruin. But also consider the words of Jesus from Matthew 19, who says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Richness can provide temporal security. But that's why it's tied, I think, to verse 16, which says the wage of the righteous leads to life and the gain of the wicked leads to sin or to sin. The gain or, or wealth that's acquired by the wicked, it can't save them. You might have great riches, but it ultimately leads to sin. It leads to how they think of themselves to their own end. How wealth becomes a way of building themselves up to greatness. Protected. Safe without a need for God. The way of the righteous, even as we see in the early life of Solomon, the way of the righteous, the wage of the righteous, only the Lord himself can pay. 
It's given for those who know that they need him. Remember the words of Jesus who says, I came not to save the righteous, but to save sinners. Those who could not earn that wage on their own. You see, what we have to also consider is this whole story of Solomon. I only shared the beginning parts, but many of you know the full story of Solomon. At the end of his life, he had obtained so much wealth. The nations were looking to him. And he was seeing the the benefits of being in relationship with the Lord who blessed him over and over again. And yet in his own life, he couldn't find satisfaction in his own wealth. And we read how he turned his heart away from the Lord. He sought foreign wives. He disobeyed. He set up high places for various foreign gods. His heart was turned. He grieved the Lord. He in his own heart. Sometimes we have to examine our own lives. That the best place we can be at times is in our desperate need for someone to rescue us. Because we know we need to go to the Lord in those moments. And sometimes that gets blurred when things are being so successful, going so well. We forget we have a need and we forget the blessings of our Savior. Sometimes it's in those moments when our hearts drift, we start to put our trust in our own greatness rather than our rest and dependence upon the Lord. Friends, this is an opportunity for us, wherever our hearts are at, to not look to King Solomon's example, but to see him as a failed king. And God's faithfulness still remained despite at the end of his life and the reign of his son that came that would shatter the nations because his son sought greatness in himself and the nations were irrevocably shattered and fractured for the rest of history. There would be a king that would come who would be the faithful king who shows us that righteousness is found in doing the will of his Father. That the straight line is that dependency upon his heavenly Father. He's the one, as Ken read this morning, who tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. No one is declared righteous apart from him. The righteous balloon, the righteous life endures because it's the Lord who upholds that life with his love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word gives us direction, guidance, that we would see our lives in light of who you are, that your love is what compels us to live differently in the world, to live a way of righteousness that we would not see our own gain for our own self, but as a way of loving those that you've put in covenant community with us. That you'd help us to be honest and open with our hearts, that we would follow you even in our failings, turn to you, so that we would live with integrity, 
for how you are conforming your will in our lives. And would you help us rest in you to be fully dependent upon you in all things. Lord, we love because you first loved us. And we ask that you'd bless us as we continue to draw our hearts to you in worship. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.